You know, I want to jump right into the message. And I want to share that we have this idea. We have this idea for this evening that can we hope for the impossible? Can we hope for the impossible together? See, we need to understand that hope is a feeling of expectation. That I'm expecting something to happen. I have an expectation and anticipation that it's not going to be normal. It's not going to be ordinary or routine. I love the difference between faith and hope. See, faith says it is possible, right? We can believe by faith that is possible, but do you know what makes hope different from faith? Is that hope says it's possible for me. It's possible for me. And sometimes in our lives, we may have faith that God, you're able. God, you're good. God, you're strong. God, you love. But is it possible for me? I'm so excited. I want to talk to you about an impossible opportunity today. An opportunity that we find in Acts chapter 3. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man who was lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people coming into the temple. When, Peter, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked for some money. Now, I want to share with you real quick before we get into the rest of the story that there are some Jewish faith traditions we need to understand. We need to understand that people who participated and were part of the Jewish faith, they would meet in the temple three times a day to pray. And so this was the time of the afternoon prayer. So hundreds of Jewish people were gathering to pray. Now, part of the faith traditions of the Jewish people was also they would give alms to the poor. So it was very common that people who were in a position where they needed to beg would be at the gates of the temple as people were coming in to pray during that time of prayer. And so this man asks him for money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. Now, hear me. This wasn't just a, sorry, guys, no cash on me, right? Have you ever been stopped by the Boy Scouts, you know, coming out of the grocery stores? It's just me. Am I just having confession time, or are you guys guilty of this too? You come out of the grocery store, and you got your groceries, or you're going in, sorry, no cash, right? But now there's the cash app. There's Venmo. There's all these things. But sometimes we could read this story and just think they didn't want to give him money. They didn't want to give him any money. But the truth of the matter is, is that he truly did not have any silver or gold. And why, why wouldn't he have any silver or gold on him? Well, we go back just one chapter to Acts chapter 2. It tells us that all the believers met together in one place. And they shared everything they had. Peter and John were part of these believers all gathering in one place and sharing everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So it wasn't that Peter and John were short on generosity. They they were overflowing in generosity. The problem is, in Acts chapter 2, they all got together and said, hey, what are the needs What are the needs here in our community? And they gave everything they had. So when they said it, no cash on me. They really didn't have any cash on them. Let's continue with the story. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand, by the right hand, and helped him up. 
And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Continue. He jumped up and he stood up on his feet and he began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people, say all the people. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Wow, just wow. Right? Wow, just wow. I want to talk to you for a moment about the lame man. Let's learn a little bit about his story. Do you know that he was lame for over 40 years? See, if we go ahead to Acts chapter 4, verse 22, it tells us that this man had been lame since birth, and it had been over 40 years. Now, I'm about to turn 40 in April. Yay for milestones, right? Yeah. And I think of my almost 40-year-old legs when I sit down, right? I have been snap, crackle, popping, y'all, since I was 13 years old, and it has only gotten worse. And so I think if I was sitting down on a mat, and I was having someone help me up, y'all, you would still hear the moaning, right? Like, oh my gosh, it takes a lot of work to get up off of a mat. But this man, who has been this way, not for 40 minutes sitting down, can I get an amen? But for 40 years of sitting, absolutely no use of any of his bottom down legs, feet, ankles, he is immediately strengthened. What I find fascinating is Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Luke is a doctor. Luke is all about the details. So when he is telling you that immediately as he began to stand, his ankles and his legs were immediately strengthened. Over 40 on the ground, immediately strengthened, that he began to jump and leap. It's a miracle. See, I want you to understand this too. For everyone that saw him, giving money to beggars was considered praiseworthy in the Jewish religion. So this man, it tells us he was brought so often, always, to this gate. He was known by people. He was part of their community. And so the beggar would wisely place themselves where he would be seen by the people who were on their way to worship at the temple. He was known. But the scripture says that he jumped up. Do you know that the word jumped up in this Greek means the same that's used for leap like a deer? He leapt like a deer, y'all. From going to being completely paralyzed to leaping like a deer, that is a miracle. The lame man experienced the impossible. The impossible. So what made it possible? Was it Peter and John? Was it Peter and John that made this impossible situation possible? See, I need us to understand, all of us in the room today, that they were ordinary people like you and me. Peter and John are ordinary humans like you and me. In fact, they were partners in the fishing business. So if we go back to the Gospels and we read the history of Peter and John, they were actually fishermen. They were fishermen. They were partners in the business of fishing until one day Jesus showed up. Jesus called them out, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. I want you to think of these words, follow me. Follow me. What does that mean? When a teacher or a rabbi would say, follow me, it meant that I see something in you that you can be like me. Now, let me tell you why this was so fascinating. Because Peter and John were at the age of working men, which tells us that when they were younger, 
and they were in a religious school for Jewish boys. At some point in that schooling, a teacher or a rabbi looked at them and said, I don't see you. I don't see me and you. I don't see this role as a part of your future. And so I'm going to need you to go pick up your father's trade. Your father's a fisherman. Your daddy's a fisherman. Maybe you dreamt of one day doing what I do as a rabbi or a teacher, but this is not for you. Go be a fisherman. And so in their young life, they had already settled that this is not for them to follow someone. It is them for, to be men of trade. And so this is an incredible invitation to say, follow me. To follow me meant, yes, I see something in you, but also meant I'm inviting you to do life with me. I want you to imagine the life of the disciples. Think of Peter and John. Every day they got to be with Jesus. They got to walk paths with Jesus in the city. They got to walk to other towns, having conversations face-to-face -face with Jesus. They were with Jesus when a, a leprous man approached him and said, Jesus, if you're willing, will you heal me? And normally that is someone that you need to stand away from because you can be infected. So while Peter and John and the rest of the disciples are saying, back off, Jesus, like this, we can, he's unclean, we can't be near him. Jesus said, no, I'm willing, and he touched the leper. And so all of this is taking place, and Peter and John are soaking this up. Ordinary people that got an impossible invitation. Think about that. Jesus gave them an impossible invitation because their lot in life had already been cast. How many of y'all have ever felt like your lot in life had already been cast? But what if, just what if, Jesus came and shook that up and said, nope, that's not the lot that I dealt you. That might be the lot that somebody said is spoken of your life, but I see something more in you. Come follow me. And for three years, y'all, they went from watching as Jesus did something to now coming alongside of him and doing it with him. To then Jesus one day called the 12 disciples to himself. And it said one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples. And he gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. So this discipleship, this follow me process came from watch me do this. To now come do this with me. And we're going to do this together for a season. To now I release you. And I want you to go town to town, two by two. And I'm giving you power and I'm giving you authority to cast out demons and to heal not some diseases, all diseases. Whew. An impossible invitation. Do you know that our salvation is an impossible invitation? A salvation opportunity where Jesus says, there is nothing that you can do on your own to ever make up for what you've done in this world and to be right in the eyes of God. But because you are stuck in your situation, I'm going to do something about it. And Jesus gave his perfect, spotless life as a sacrifice for you and I, an impossible invitation to salvation. It's incredible that we get invited to that. But now they're sent out two by two, and they're, they're doing the work of the ministry. They're healing the sick. They're, they're, they're casting out demons. They're speaking and sharing and preaching the good news of the kingdom and that the Messiah is here. Come on. Jesus gave them impossible authority. Who were they? Unqualified, undeserving. Can you imagine the religious people sticking their nose up to him and saying, excuse me, you still smell like fish. Why do you think you can pray for so-and-so? But they were. It's an impossible authority that God has gifted them. I think it's an incredible, incredible thing. I love this in Matthew. This is what we call the Great Commission. 
When you're commissioned to do something, it means I'm going to set you apart to do a great work. I am giving you this privilege, this opportunity. I'm telling you to do something. And so Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have given, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them name in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about that. Jesus said, risen from the grave. And he gives them this great commission to his disciples. I need you to go into all the world. I need you to preach the good news. I need you to see people baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you this, and we have to get this in our hearts, that you, are, you and I are here today because people did not stop making disciples. Let that sink in for a second. Okay? A 2,000-year-old commandment. Two thousand year old commandment how many generations has passed between us and them but for two thousand years people held true to the great commission they held true to the words of jesus when jesus said go and make disciples i'm going to go make disciples thank god they did not stop making disciples thank god they kept preaching the good news and sharing and being water baptized they went and made disciples you know i think of the apostle paul It was the Apostle Paul who wrote, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Why was Paul even able to say this? Because Paul gave his life to Christ. But it was Ananias and Barnabas that discipled him. It was because there were people in his world that were willing to set aside all judgment. Hear me, they had some. Ananias is like, excuse me, you want me to go speak to who? If you don't know Paul's history, Paul was a murderer of Christians. He had human authority from the leading high priest that he could kill, imprison anyone who was of a follower of Jesus, who was of the way. And so here is Paul on his way to commit these things with the authority given by the high priest. Jesus encounters him, literally knocks him off a horse. And tells Ananias, there's a blind guy named Saul. I need you to go pray for him. He's going to receive sight and I need you to take care of him. Oh, God, do you know who Saul is? <laughs> Have you ever had those moments like, Jesus, I hear you, but do you know the details? <laughs> do you know that I have the potential of being killed. Is he, did he, did you really have an encounter with him? Like, did it stick or was it like I just felt good in church one day and I'm back to it on Monday, right? I got to know. Ananias took the risk. Thank God he took the risk. Thank goodness Barnabas came alongside of him and he vouched for him to the apostles. Have y'all ever had somebody vouch for you? Have y'all ever had someone say, no, he can do it. She can do it. I've seen them. I believe in them. I see the gift of God inside of them. They vouch for them. You know, I got to say, my pastors are here this morning. Pastors Tom and Robin, those are my pastors. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you took Jeremy and I. We were 22 years old, you guys, when they said, we see something in you. And they brought us underneath them. My love for detail, my love for knowing that Vassal drinks Perrier and I make sure every Christmas I get a 24 case of Perrier, that's because Pastor Robin told me how to love people in detail. The reason why Jeremy and I are so hungry for the word of God, and we are students, and you hear scripture after scripture, commentary after commentary, because we learned how to love the word and to study the word, that it was God's gift to spend time in his word. We learned that from our pastor. 
Friends, there is more work that is done in circles than in rows. And when we invite people into our lives and into these circles of friendship and relationship and mentorship and discipleship, life change happens. And what's so wonderful is you're pulling out gold in them. They're stirring up fire in you. It's not just a give-give relationship. It's a give and take. I am better because I do life with you. I'm better because we sit around tables, because we learn this thing together. Thank God people are still making disciples. Thank God people are still making disciples. See, before Jesus ascended into heaven, this is after he was already resurrected and with the disciples. He commanded them, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses where? You will be telling people everywhere about me. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you know what Jesus gave them an impossible responsibility? That sounds impossible. You've got 120 people gathered together. And they're supposed to go to the ends of the earth. They're supposed to go tell every nation everywhere, baptizing them, right? Sharing them that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them in a mighty, mighty way. An impossible responsibility. But did they do it? Yes. And did others do it and continue that? Yes. Why? How are they able to continue this? It says this in John chapter 14. It says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and will be with you forever, this spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. <sighs> Friends, I think of what gift we've been given. Have we been given a responsibility? Absolutely. It's a divine responsibility. It's a privilege to be able to share the name of Jesus. It's a privilege to be able to go to our families and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and, and, and share with them, whether it's our story or even an invitation. Come to the place where I worship. Come to my church. Come hear about this Jesus. But do you know that we don't go and do that on our own? See, the disciples, yes, they walked with Jesus. And they were given this invitation to follow me. And they were given impossible authority. But you and I were also given the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit was not reserved for the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit was reserved for ministry that happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus, for whatever reason, right? His perfect plan is perfect reason. God designed it not that he would sit far away, but that he would make his home in your heart. And not only would he make his home in your heart, he wouldn't ask you to live this life on your own. Jesus, although he was 100% God, he also wore this 100% human body with all the emotions, all the failings, 33-year-old knees he had, right? He felt the, the pains of a human body, the pains of human temptation. So God did not leave us alone, but he gave us an advocate. So not only did Jesus make his, his home in our heart, but he gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell in us. I want you to imagine a cup. And imagine that cup being filled up with water. God's like, I'm making my home in you. 
My Holy Spirit's gonna come live in you. And you're not gonna have to do this on your own. I'm going to be with you. That gift of wisdom, that spirit of truth, that still small voice inside of you, I'm with you. But God knew that he wasn't just going to give you a helper, an advocate. He knew that we didn't just need an indwelling. We needed an overflowing. Because what God was going to ask the disciples to do, what Jesus was going to ask the church to do, was going to take a lot of authority and a lot of power. So I want you to imagine that glass that we filled up with water because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus is saying, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to have this empowering, this, this thing that doesn't come of your own physical strength, but this opportunity to be supernaturally overflowed so you can do the work that I've called you to do. So imagine having that glass all the way already filled up to the brim and Jesus is just keep pouring water and water and water and it's spilling over and it's coming out of the bowl. It's going, it's making a mess. But that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have to think of Peter and John because you may be sitting in this room and thinking, I have screwed up too much to ever think that God could call me to do something incredible. These seem like impossible things, but would he ever even invite me to do impossible things? Friends, John wanted to be at the right hand of the Father. Like their family even got Jesus aside and was like, hey, can my son, when you know, go up to heaven and do your thing, could my son be like right here next to you, right? Like trying to get like teacher's pet perks with Jesus. And then you have Peter and God bless Peter. Y'all, Peter was feisty. Peter had an attitude. Peter would have been from Nellis, y'all, East Las Vegas. He was feisty and always running his mouth at the wrong time. So at one moment, Jesus is telling him, you're the rock. I'm gonna build my church upon this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail, Peter. Are you in this? And in another moment, he's saying, get behind me, Satan. Because friends, we aren't perfect, but our savior is perfect. So I think of Peter, right? Peter who denied Jesus three times, who had literally just cut off the ear of a soldier trying to come and take his Jesus away. Oh no, you don't. Psh. Some of y'all got stuff here in church right now, right? So if somebody comes up to me, just psh. No, just kidding, just kidding. Don't do that, not in church. Not in church, we'll go outside. <laughs> kidding, take it back. But Jesus, I mean, he, he, he was defending him with the sword and then denying him with the tongue. But yet he still got filled with the Holy Spirit. He still was in that upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit ascended upon them. He was in the room. Friends, you're invited to the room. You always have an invitation to the room where Jesus is. You are invited to be there also. And we watch Peter transform. We watch him from denying and running and being fearful to bravely standing and preaching for the cause of Christ. We see the church growing as he opens his mouth. So yes, were they ordinary people? Can you imagine the conversations of Peter and John? You remember when we used to fish together? Can you remember that? Remember, remember when we used to be partners in this fishing business? Now look at us. Look what God has entrusted us with. It's not easy. 
It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But look what he's trusted us with. See, Jesus gave them impossible opportunities. I want you to think about that beggar. It says that beggar was brought there often. Friends, even though Peter and John are following Jesus, they still stuck to Jewish traditions. They were there whenever there was prayer. They were in the temple. They would have seen this man who was known to everybody. But what made that day so special? What made that day different than the day before? Or what day? What made that afternoon different than morning prayer? It's that God made an impossible opportunity. So as he's walking, he sees somebody. And I may have seen him before, but something's different in the way this is feeling right now. And he makes eye contact with the man. And the man looks at him and asks for money. But then Peter tells him, silver and gold have I none. But in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, take my hand and stand up and walk. Friends, we are surrounded with impossible opportunities. It's just a matter of whether or not we are looking. It's a matter of whether or not we are listening. It's a matter of whether or not when that still solemn voice says, something's different in the room. Lord, I'm listening. I'm looking. What would you have me do? So eliminate the qualifications, friends. Eliminate the shoulda, woulda, coulda, if. You don't think God knows all that? Let's pause on the evaluating of our past and let's present it to the Lord and say, here is my offering. I'm offering you my imperfections because I want to be invited to the impossible. I want to believe, Father God, that I have access to that authority that the Holy Spirit gives. I want to be a part of that impossible responsibility to make disciples. Do you know moms and dads in the room, you're making disciples. You're making disciples. The fact that your children are here with church at church with you today, you're making disciples. You're making disciples. Your friendships, your influences, you're making disciples. See, we, we have this saying that any church is gonna be too big if you're not connected. It could be a church of 50 can be too big if you're not connected. So as we grow bigger, we want to grow smaller through small group because life change happens in circles. I get to know your story in circles. I may not necessarily hear it in a row, but I get to learn it in a circle. And I get to meet you where you're at, and you get to meet me where I'm at. And we get to pray with one another. We get to follow Jesus as we're following the example of one another. So why am I saying this? Because after service today, we are going to teach how to do small groups. We're gonna ask for 30 minutes of your time. And would you sit down with us? And would you be open? See, some of y'all, uh-oh, is that, is that anxiety? Is that gas? It might be the Holy Spirit, y'all. It might not be the coffee. It may be the Holy Spirit that's saying, I need you to go make disciples. I need you to start operating with me, Jesus, in your circle of influence. And what I love here at Avenue, we show you how to do it. We show you how to be effective and it's not as hard as you think it is, but you were commissioned just like Peter and John, go and make disciples, go and make disciples. Trust him for the disciples he's gonna bring around you. Trust him for your faith walk, but we need to get around each other, amen? So I want you today, join Pastor Jeremy. He's gonna tell you how to do it. We're gonna talk about it. You don't have to be a theologian. 
to make, to, to run a small group. But man, what would happen if we all took that on to us and say, you've given me your Holy Spirit. You've given me a great responsibility, but I don't have to do it by myself. And we started doing life with others. See, this whole time we've been saying, Jesus gave them. Jesus gave them. The reality is, is that Jesus gives us. Everything that was available to them is available to you and I. So would you stand with me this morning as I close this out? The greatest invitation in the world is not to the work of the ministry. It's to the one who formed that ministry. It's Jesus. Friends, when the disciples and everyone prays in the name of Jesus, they're praying because they know the person of Jesus. We're able to use that beautiful, powerful, strong name, the name that everything will bow to because that name is a person. And he loves you. He gave his life for you. Despite whatever you have done, he knew it. He knows all about our stories, what they are now and what they will be. And he still chose to give his life for you. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you first need to say yes to that invitation, invitation of Jesus, you are my Lord and Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Would you just raise a hand so I can know who I'm praying with you today? Just raise a hand. Yes, I see that hand. There's one, there's two, there's three, there's four. That's awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? That's awesome. Come on. That's amazing. Here at Avenue Church, we love being a church family. And we pray this prayer together. So with every mouth raised, every voice raised, will you say, dear Jesus, oh, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life for me so that I can have new life. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord of my life. Help me to live a life with you at the center of it. I'm excited for the possibilities. Give me a heart to believe for the possibilities as I walk my life out with you. In Jesus' name.